Hello and welcome once again to a Bible study on Facebook. This is Bill Allen coming to you from Tyler, Texas, the downtown area, the West Irwin Church of Christ. We've been in this location or in this general area for uh, well over 130 years. It's been since 1885 and so uh, whatever that would be, 137, I'll have to do the math later when you're not watching. But uh, we're um, glad to be able to be with you electronically, glad to be uh, uh, with you as we uh, go forth in these lessons and read through the Bible in a year. We're using the F. Lagarde Smith edited The Daily Bible in Chronological Order, and hopefully you're following along with that. If not, that's okay. Listen to the uh, uh, lessons every week, and you'll be hearing the Bible stories each week as we go through the Bible uh, we're uh, getting close to the New Testament. We are in the time of the exile while the Israelites were in Babylonian captivity. And we've been in, uh, we've looked at Ezekiel, uh, Jeremiah got us there. And then we got to Ezekiel prophesying in, the pro in, the, in Babylon and Daniel also uh, in exile. And that's where we find ourselves today. One of the interesting things that you've seen and read over the last few days, if you've been following along, that uh, is that um, the Israelites in exile, they were, um, they were beginning to turn to God. We read some of the Psalms of an exiled nation, as uh, uh, Dr. Smith puts it in the uh, Daily Bible. And there are many of those that are heart-wrenching, the Israelites crying out to God to help, him and to help them and deliver them, crying out to God in penitence because uh, the psalmists are quick to acknowledge that it is because of the sins of the people that all of this came upon them. God had told them from the time of Moses and onward that if they would just obey his commandments, it would go better for them, and they did not. And so they were ultimately carried away into Babylonian captivity, and while there, they cried out to the Lord for mercy and for help and uh, and I believe that he provided that. Ultimately, after 70 years or so, they began to return and we'll be reading about that in the upcoming days and weeks. And uh, and But before they do, it's a very sad, sad thing. One of the most heart-wrenching Psalms, in fact, is Psalm 137. We're gonna get to Daniel and we're gonna get to that handwriting on the wall which is right out of the book of Daniel, and also, of course, Daniel in the lion's den. All of that we're going to look at today, but one quick psalm before we do, and it's Psalm 137. It's a, a very, very heart-wrenching psalm, um, and this is how it goes. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. And then he goes on in asking God to remember the cries and the, uh, the uh, cruelty of their enemies. And, uh, but it's just amazing to me that the Babylonian captors were telling them, and likely 
um, uh, trying to humiliate them. Hey, sing us one of those songs of Zion. You know, we're marching to Zion or some one of the other songs of ascent that they would sing as they were traveling to uh, Jerusalem to worship on one of the feast days. Sing us one of those joyful, happy, peppy songs. And they said, we just can't do it. How can I do that while I'm in a foreign land? And so they, um, they wait out their time for the Lord and for his deliverance. But even while they're there, they have reminders at times of the presence and power of the Lord. Of course, we've uh, seen that in Ezekiel and his incredible visions. We're reading that in some of Daniel's uh, apocalyptic visions as well. But in Daniel 5, there's this story that you've heard the saying a hundred times uh, or more, but I wonder if you knew that it was found in the Bible. You've heard that saying, right? The handwriting on the wall, uh, basically uh, saying, look, um, it, this is going to happen. We see what's going to happen now, but it's, uh, it's, it, there's, the writing on the wall has become clear. Well, that's taken directly out of Daniel chapter 5. It's about 540 BC, so we're not too far from the time that the exiles begin to return, but still a, a little ways away, perhaps 10 or so years. And this, this is how Daniel 5 begins. King Belshazzar, the king in Babylon, gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, likely his ancestor, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them, adding insult to injury, basically. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. You get the picture, right? Um, they, The Babylonians have taken the Israelites into exile. King Nebuchadnezzar pretty much took a lot of the temple treasures along with the silverware and the plates and everything. Remember in King Solomon's day, uh, bronze was like nothing because gold and silver was everywhere. And um, and so he calls for all of that to be brought in so that they can use them and basically in arrogance talk about how their gods overcame the God of Israel. Now notice Daniel 5 verse 5. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. Sounds like a modern day horror movie. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. So another saying that we get from the Bible, he was so scared, his knees were knocking and his face was pale. Verse 7, the king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And so, of course, all the uh, magicians, enchanters, mediums, everybody comes uh, to the king to look at what had been written by this mysterious hand 
and this writing on the wall, but none of them could do anything about it. None of them understood it. None of them uh, could interpret it. And this scared the king even more. And so the queen, when she hears what's going on and sees his distress, she tells him, hey, look, there's a guy. There's a guy in one of those captives from, from Judah, one of those Israelites, and he can do this. He's done it before. His name is Daniel, and the king, the Babylonian king, named him Belteshazzar, and he's done this before. Call for him. He'll, he'll do this. Verse 13, so Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? Are you the one who can do this? And Daniel, of course, says, yes, I am. And the king says, if you can interpret this writing for me, you're going to get all kinds of gifts and wealth and power. And verse 17 of Daniel 5, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself. May have just been saying that. Uh, but that was the custom. You can keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Verse 18, your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. It was God who gave that to him. And it's God who gives you your power. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, almost as if to say, like yours is right now, uh, King Belshazzar, um, verse 20, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed and his royal throne, and, he was, and it was, he was stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar went crazy there for a while. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set up for yourself, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and you brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Verse 25, this is the inscription that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson, however you pronounce it. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Amazing and very brave statement. Remember, Daniel doesn't know how all of this is going to turn out. This king might hear him say, hey, your days are numbered, king, and have him put to death. But Daniel does interpret the writing on the wall 
for the king, and this is it. Uh, your days are numbered, and uh, you're, you're about to be taken off the throne, and your kingdom will be given to the Medes and the Persians exactly what happens under King Cyrus in not very long from this time. Verse 29, Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler of the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So we see this transition taking place, but God brings it about. And the handwriting is on the wall. <laughs> Literally a handwriting on the wall. And it basically says, your days are numbered, king, and your reign is about to be brought to an end. And it'll be given over to the Medes, first of all, and then the Persians in this Medo-Persian empire. And ultimately, it would be King Cyrus of Persia who would allow the Israelites to go back home. Well, that's a, that's a great story that's kind of a surprise in the book of Daniel, but there's another great story that's no surprise at all, and it's found in Daniel chapter 6. And this is the great story of Daniel and uh, Daniel in the lion's den. And it comes during the time of this Darius, this king uh, of the Medes that is ruling in Babylon. Um, and it goes by some other names as well. Um, Daniel 6, beginning at verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is what was going to happen to Daniel, and they knew it. And now would they do something about it? Verse 4, At this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. He was flawless. Um, he was guiltless. Um, you couldn't bring a charge against him. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 5 of Daniel 6. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Few things are said in such a, a beautifully sublime way, complimenting someone's faith and faithful obedience as this statement uh, from Daniel's uh, cohorts in charge in Babylon in the days of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel chapter 6 verse 5, we will never be able to find a charge against this man unless it has something to do with his God. And that got them to thinking. So they went to the king, verse 6, and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. 
something similar that we saw earlier at the beginning in Daniel, when Daniel's three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were told to bow down before this uh, giant statue of the king and, and of their gods, and uh, if not, they would be thrown into the fiery, fiery furnace, and, um, and they were, and they were saved. Now Daniel is facing something very similar, and they know they're doing this whole thing just to get Daniel. It's interesting how Daniel responds. No one is to pray to any other god except to the king for 30 days. So what's Daniel going to do? Well, he's going to go home and he's going to pray to God about it. <laughs> that is the truth. Verse 10 of Daniel 6. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before, even though his life might be taken. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help, just as they figured. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Verse 13, Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And this is how they got Jesus condemned by Pilate. Pilate didn't want to do it any more than this king wants to condemn Daniel. But what they told Pilate was, hey, this guy claimed to be a king, so if uh, you don't punish him, then you're no friend of Caesar, who is the only king that we have. How about you? And that's what got him to sit down and pronounce guilt and the penalty of crucifixion for Jesus. Similarly, that's what these men do uh, to trap Daniel and to trap the king into condemning him. Verse 14 of Daniel 6. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Even the king was limited according to this decree. Verse 15, Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And listen to what the king tells him. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That's how these enemies of Daniel knew how to get him. He served God continually. And so they found a way to make this edict, tricked the king into signing it, and saying, okay, Daniel, what's it going to be? Are you going to just worship your Lord, or are you going to pray only to the king for 30 days? And Daniel goes home, and he prays to the one true and living God. And now he's thrown into the lion's den. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that no one would come and, and get him to escape, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. 
The king was upset. He knew that this was an innocent man, but he also knew that if he tried to save him, then he would lose power. Verse 19, what's going to happen? At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Verse 21, Daniel answered, May the king live forever. And how the king's heart must have jumped for joy when he heard the first words coming out of Daniel's mouth. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. What a great moment. But it's not over yet. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Just as you couldn't even smell the smoke on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel has no harm whatsoever, not even a scratch. Verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. It wasn't that they were sick or not hungry. It was that God had sent his angel and protected Daniel. And now vindication was his. Doesn't always happen that way. I wish I could say that everyone who trusted in the Lord and is innocent doesn't have to suffer, but we know that that's not true. Because we've read it a hundred times in Scripture, and we've seen it even in the life of the Son of God Himself. Perhaps one of the reasons why He came and suffered so was so that when we suffer, though innocent, we can look to the Savior and be encouraged. In Daniel's case, God was there to deliver him, and He did. And those who accused Him wrongly and set this whole thing up were thrown into the lion's den, and before they even hit the ground, the lions uh, began to tear into them. It's an amazing, amazing story. Then King Darius, verse 25, wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Ultimately, this Darius would give way to another King Darius, and then that King Darius would give the power over to Cyrus and um, King Cyrus of Persia would write an edict, not that people could only worship him, but that people could go to their homelands and return. And that's what happens with the Israelites before long. Joyce loves to tell the story of one of her earliest memories of Bible study was uh, with her nanny and papa, her grandparents. And uh, she would ask him, and he would get down the big family Bible that had all the King James Version and all the great pictures in it. And they would turn to that place where those pictures of Daniel in the lion's den were. And she'd ask Papa to read that story to her. Uh, one, of the, one of the earliest memories of Bible study and faith.
that uh, Joyce has is of her grandfather. Um, as we think about these stories and we think about uh, all of the great wonders and blessings that God gives us, I want you to, to be mindful and prayerful for some friends of ours today, Jerry and Sabra Ellis, our brother Jerry and dear friend since 1985 passed away yesterday. And uh, so be prayerful for, for Sabra and um, for their children, for Amanda uh, and Marcus and Mallory and all of their family. And for all of those who were such close friends, because I know they're hurting, but I also know that we all know, we all know that this is what Jerry was ready for. And, and this is what we all look forward to, but it doesn't make it any easier for those uh, who are left here uh, to mourn. But we know the promise of our Savior, and we know that he will comfort those who mourn. Uh, remember to read the writing on the wall. And to be mindful of that before it's too late. And remember the faith of Daniel and the power of our God. You see, the God of Daniel is our God even today. Whatever lion's den you find yourself in today, know that God is in there with you. And one way or another, he will deliver you and he will be a real presence in your life. One little note, next week, uh, I plan to be in Harding at Searcy, Arkansas for the lectureship, so uh, won't have our Bible studies next uh, week on Tuesday and Thursday. Keep that reading up, and we'll get back together again a week from Tuesday, and we'll be uh, sharing the wonderful and incredible, beautiful story of a faithful woman, a faithful uh, woman by the name of Esther. And I look forward to sharing that with you. May God bless you in the days ahead.